Hey everyone, welcome to episode number 65 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. And uh, of course, I'm your host, Andrew Coates. And the last time I had my good friend Chad Landers on here, we used to call it the fitness devil. Dean Guido was still with me. Chad's uh, been on a couple of times, so it's his first appearance under the new format, solo hosting it. And uh, a little bit about Chad, if you guys aren't super familiar. Industry, like everybody, like almost insiders in the industry, everybody knows who Chad is. Everybody's friends with Chad, <laughs> right? People like Mark Fisher and, and all the way down the line. But uh, you're a public speaker. Uh, you are the owner of Push Private Fitness. We're going to talk a bit more about that. And that's in, te- technically, is it North Hollywood? What's what's the actual? Uh, well, I mean, the way it is, you know, LA, A, it's all Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. And then technically, I think the zip code is considered a North Hollywood zip code. But I'm in Toluca Lake, which is really a more kind of lucrative area than North Hollywood is. Um, but you know, it's all the same. I mean, you know, people who live here know where you're at. If you're, if you're good <laughs> for everybody else, they, they understand what Beverly Hills and Hollywood are like in terms conceptually, right. They probably Toluca Lake probably won't mean as much. No, them. I mean, for anybody who's visited LA, if they've gone to universal studios, my gym is basically a minute from universal studios. So if you've been to universal, you're close enough to my gym. <laughs> That tells you everything. I'll be uh, probably going to Universal Studios in Florida in just a little over a week, actually. And of course, you're also a former NFCA Personal Trainer of the Year Award winner, which is you know pretty cool accomplishment, along with like friends of ours like Robert Lincoln and Melody Schoenfeld. And uh, and I think first and foremost, the thing that you showcase and take the greatest pride in is simply just being a dedicated coach. And you've got you're creeping up on it's almost it's year thirty, right? You're coming up on your thirtieth <laughs> anniversary as a trainer. Yeah, and- but it's going to be. Um, technically I'll hit the 29th anniversary in April. Okay. Um, but this year, 2022's calendar is my 30th calendar. Right. Um, you know, so yeah, it's, it's pretty insane actually. So, you know, but I started training when I was five years old. So what do you do? <laughs> there you go. Uh, and I, I wanted to dive into some of that, obviously the experience and the longevity within it and I was curious what kept you in the industry when we know everybody who's listening knows tons of people who are good trainers. They're fairly passionate about it, but they moved out of the industry. And some, certainly the events of the last two years pushed them out, but there's a lot of people, you know, a bunch of the trainers I started with went on to become one became a firefighter and some of them got into medical services and policing, whatever, like they go in all kinds of different directions. So what's kept the passion alive? for you this whole time? Um, well, you know, a, I can't imagine doing anything else. I'm like really, really good at this. And, you know, I get to go to work in t-shirts and a short shorts and a t-shirt and that's like, great. You know, that's my uniform. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm, as you know, I'm a, a t-shirt freak. So but like, I have squirrelzilla on my chest <laughs> right now. <laughs> so I don't know if you're uh, recording video on this for, People, I but, am. Uh, and you know what? I, I'm supposed to release the videos on these on YouTube. And you know what? You try to do so many damn things. Anyway, I got this bump because I found out that like of the ones I've released by my, my mom and dad have started like to sit down and watch it on YouTube. So I'm like, ah, oh, shit, that alone is an incentive, right? Right. Sure. Um, and, and to your T-shirt point, I remember when it was the second time we'd hung out and you came up to Calgary for our friend Jeff Akers. My cat Ozzy jumped up. Um, his provincial NSCA uh, event here in Alberta and you brought me a t-shirt and it was a Tormund t-shirt so I right. actually if I had more time I would have ran upstairs and worn it right now <laughs> my closet, love the damn thing so you're like you're a hardcore t-shirt guy and you whenever you present when I first met you 
and then the subsequent year at Tim Arndt's Inland Empire Fitness Conference, you were the MC on top of speaking in one of the, the spots and you'd come out and introduce each new person with a different t-shirt on. Yeah, that was just, you know, something fun for that particular event. Um, Cause I am a t-shirt freak. I mean, it's, my wife hates it because a, even if I, well, if I washed everything, there's no way I would have enough room, but you know, my closet is full and I have two humongous hampers that are full of dirty clothes that I have to like pull stuff out of and say, Oh my God, I haven't worn this shirt in ages. So I have so many cool shirts and because of, of different weight fluctuations over the years, one time I, you know, in powerlifting, I competed as low as 163 pounds and I've been as heavy before COVID as almost 220. And right now I'm like 189. So I have, you know, double XLs, XLs, larges, mediums, you know, I've got a little bit of everything. And so some of them are really cool. A lot of, I'm not going to be able to replace them. So yeah, I have way, way, way too many t-shirts. Luckily it's a very cheap hobby to have. So, you know, that's good. But the problem is like, I, because it's so cheap, I buy more all the time and it's just, it's really a, a mess. I've actually been thinking about having an online like t-shirt store for like vintage t-shirts and I can just have my nieces run it and they say, here, I'm going to sell vintage t-shirts when I get tired of them and, you know, you can keep the money or, or whatever, you know, just to do something with it. Cause I got way too many shirts and otherwise, you know, it's just going to overrun the whole house. <laughs> I've started collecting them too. Uh, a lot of band stuff. And we're in a perfect circle one right now. I started ordering away from the, the official band websites. If I found stuff I really liked. Sure. I hear you about, man, I can't imagine wearing anything other than shorts and a t-shirt on the gym floor. And I know there are people in our industry who, you know, they're a little bit more deliberate in saying, hey, it's really important you wear a professional uniform and all that stuff. And I think there's nuance to that. Sure. I think... You know, if you want to do the collared shirt thing on the gym floor, if you're independent, I think that's cool. I think it's okay. It's part of your personality, but I don't think that has to be everybody. Obviously, right. commercial gym trainers, anybody who's like got to wear a uniform, you got to wear a uniform. I did a uniform that looked like a Star Trek uniform for six years. <laughs> and Somerset both had to wear the same damn uniform for the old company we both worked for. And, you know, never again. For me, it's going to be t-shirts, band shirts. Part of my identity, I'm comfortable on the gym floor. Everything else about what I do and my presence on the gym floor is really professional. I don't think it's unprofessional. I think it's it's part of your personality. Sure. And I, I just don't believe in gatekeeping or setting these hard rules for how everybody else in our industry is supposed to do things. Right. And we do have some people who I respect, and I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, but who kind of push that message. That's great for you. And I don't think it's a terrible thing to consider for, for younger trainers. I think looking the part is essential. But I certainly think if you've got a little bit of that tenure and you've got those relationships, you've got a bit of broader respect, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having your own individual style on the floor. No, absolutely. And, you know, I can understand, you know, somebody starting out or if you're working for somebody else and their business requires it. And, you know, some people think it's, it's more professional for me that's all about authenticity. And so this is authentically who I am. I've been a t-shirt guy. For as long as I can remember, I remember, you know, going to the mall in Galesburg, Illinois, when I was like 12 years old, and I'd go to this place called the Crazy Top Shop, and they had the old fashioned like iron on t-shirts. So they'd have all these iron ons on the walls, just 
dozens and dozens of them. And I would spend hours in there agonizing, which one can I afford to buy out of my allowance? Because you know, it's a big chunk of allowance going to go out to the shirt. Which one was I going to get? And then what shirt am I going to put it on? And so I was always one of these shirt guys in third grade, fourth grade. And I always liked having the funny shirt, a cool shirt, whatever. And obviously that's, that's just continued on. It's just a part of me and, and who I am. Uh, I've got nothing wrong with, you know, somebody wearing something. I mean, even public speaking, you know, it's more authentic for me to wear this, you know, but for somebody else, like, oh, you know, dress a little bit better than your audience. Well, that's okay. But it, it wouldn't be authentic for me to show up wearing a sports jacket and trying to be something I'm not. So I'm all about authenticity. I think it also depends. I mean, it can depend on your environment. And I think you, with your tenure, with your status, and I, and I know I don't like thinking in terms of status, but it still it, it encompasses it. What sure. you've accomplished in your career, the reputation that you've acquired, and the fact that it is part of who you are, you can stand up in front of an NSCA event in a t-shirt. And I, I suspect it's a broader thing where we get caught up in all these little details. And yeah, there's the John Wooden do the little things well, but then there's majoring in the minor and missing out on the things that are reasons why you have so many clients who've been with you for a extraordinary length of time. <laughs> and yeah. it's, it's the care, the quality of relationship. So I don't know, any thoughts on maybe, certainly lessons from your career you wish newer trainers would have. And maybe sure. some of the stuff that, some people are too concerned with and some of the stuff that maybe we should be more concerned with as coaches. Right. Oh, this, this could, we could go deep here. So the, the first thing that just jumps right out at me. And one of the reasons why I don't think trainers make it very long in the game is they don't understand money. And especially when they go and try to make that transition from being an employee of a big box gym and they, all they see is, well, you know, they're charging this much for training and I'm only making this much of it. So I'm just going to go out on my own. I'm going to make all the money, but they forget about things like self-employment tax and insurance and all this other stuff that the employer was covering. And now that you're self-employed, you've got to cover that. And so um, instead what they end up doing is, you know, buying a flashy new car, the second they're doing over 30 sessions a week. And I've seen trainers who then, you know, they don't want to be too busy because they've, you know, don't want to burn out. And I understand that, but then they lose one or two clients and all of a sudden they can't make the bills and they've got to put their car payment on a credit card. And all of a sudden they're chasing their tail and never getting ahead to where finally they got to decide, you know what, I can't do this. I've got to go with something that's a regular income I can count on, like be a firefighter or whatever. Uh, I, I had those same thoughts myself. Believe me, I've, I did it all wrong. I got very lucky um, that I, I met my wife and, you know, she's well-established in her career and was able to take some pressure off of me and allow me to kind of right the ship and do things right. And so once I opened my own gym, I had made a promise to myself that I was never um, going to take any money from us personally uh, once we did this initial startup, that once that gym was opened, Every dollar that was spent was going to be from something that we made at the gym and, and not from stuff my wife's made in her career or whatever. And I was able to do that even with, you know, the financial crisis in 2008, 2009, or now with COVID. Um, but that's all from setting myself and my business up um, with good credit, 
able to get, you know, disaster loan uh, during COVID to be able to keep the doors open. But it, it all boils back to doing the right financial things in the beginning. And so I think with most trainers, uh, it's that, that initial jump to, to being private. And the first thing they should do is start looking at the numbers and say, you know what, every check I get, I'm going to put a third of it in a separate savings account just for taxes. It's like I never made it. And if they can do that, then they're much more likely to be successful. And then they can see that other amount that they've gotten. It's like, okay, well, with what I'm making now, how much can I really afford for housing? How much can I afford for a car? How much can I afford to put away maybe to go on a trip and have some fun or whatever? But you know, a, a lot of times as trainers, we don't want to look at those things because it's, it's too much of an eye opener. It's, it's just like our clients not wanting to keep track of calories because they don't want to see those things in black and white that they're doing wrong. And then and we're the same way, only it's about money. And so that's a huge thing, I think, um, is getting that wrong. Another thing that I think that trainers get wrong is they forget about the personal part of personal training. All they focus on is training because we're training nerds and we love training and we love anatomy and physiology and biomechanics and all that kind of stuff. We assume the clients do too. And that the more we know about it and can get them jazzed about the sarcomere, the more they're going to come and, and train with us. And it's nothing could be further from the truth. Clients could care less about that. And I expect everybody who's uh, considers themselves a professional trainer to be able to train people safely and effectively and get results. So that everybody should be on pretty much equal footing. Yes, somebody like me who's been doing it 30 years is going to have more experience. And maybe if something comes up that I've seen before, I'm going to have a better idea of how to address it. But by and large, it's not that big of a stretch what I'm doing now versus what I was doing 25 years ago. So every trainer worth their salt should be able to train people. So then what's it about? It's not about the X's and O's. It's about the coaching part that comes in between sets. And before and after the session, it's about that personal interaction. And it's why I love one-on-one -on -one training and have never switched to small groups and semi-privates, which was you know very popular 10 years yep. or so ago. Um, and that's mainly, I feel, because of a, of a money thing. Again, it's about a way for a trainer to make more money for the hour and make it a little cheaper for the client. But it's not necessarily the best for the client. Some clients do do well in semi-privates, but I have a lot of clients, especially celebs, they're not going to want to train in a small group, or if they do train in a small group, it's going to be a different experience because they're not going to feel comfortable to open up and be vulnerable about certain things that end up creating that relationship and also really let you know why they've come to you to begin with. Because most people come to the gym They'll say it's to get a six pack or to do whatever, but it's because they're unhappy that something has happened in their life that they're unhappy with this relationship, work, uh, having to wear a seatbelt extender on an airplane, whatever it is, something has happened and they think that training is going to help make them resolve that and help make them happier. And so they may be wrong about it. You know, that might not be the six pack that ends up making them happier. But um, ultimately, that's why they come to us. So I try to make the experience of training fun so that people come back. And if they're consistent, they're probably going to get results. Now, most people never, ever need to get close to a six pack. And they'll realize that along the way. And they're, what, the reason why they say they came in and, and why they really came in, 
those things shift and change over the course of, of, of training and, and becoming more empowered by you know, reconnecting with their bodies and, and all that kind of thing. So for me, it's all about the, the coaching in between sets and the relationships. It's not about the bench or curls or squats or, or, or any of that stuff. Of course, I should be able to train that safely and effectively, but so should every other trainer. That's a big deal. Everything you just described is philosophically the same way, the same sequence of seeing the stuff about the semi-private push from a lot of people I like and respect. And I just, I couldn't get away from the fact that, well, the strength of my long-term client relationships and therefore their results, because just like you said, it's, it's that relationship. They want to keep coming back to it because they love spending time with you. It's a fun experience. Sure. They wouldn't trade. Then they stick around long enough. And they tend to get really awesome results. And I couldn't imagine any of those, a cluster of my really long-term clients enjoying the experience of being one of four people that I was rotating through who had different programs. So I right. never considered it. I never tried it. I just knew fundamentally it wasn't for me. And ultimately what's been financially lucrative for me is just a consistency and stability, building up a brand and a reputation over the grand scheme of things. Sure. Uh, I've been able to, you know, gradually steadily increase my rates, which has allowed me to earn a little bit more uh, growth of my online coaching business, which had, I mean, we, you and I have talked about this in the past about how I even wrote an article I included you in about the pivot into more online coaching stuff uh, for someone who just had been so entrenched in the in-person and all these things, open up the doors to a little bit more income, a little bit more income. And then it goes back to just being really smart with your finances as opposed to, well, one good thing is, yeah, make more money and you don't have to worry about nickel and diming over like really trivial shit. Sure. But there's also like basic fiscal responsibility. I have the good fortune. I have a Bachelor of Commerce degree with a concentration in finance and marketing, right? Like my first background is not in training. It's actually in business, which has been useful. I did a lot of courses in sure. investments, finance, uh, economics, especially in university. And at least there's a functioning, it doesn't guarantee you know what you're doing, but at least there's a functioning understanding of that stuff. Sure. And I, I got a lot of that stuff from my dad. My dad was always really smart about it. But yeah, I never wanted to embrace the semi-private model because here's another aspect of it. We also, and I know this is true of you, we are fulfilled by the time we get to spend with people we enjoy. It's what right. has allowed you to do this for 30 years and work the kind of hours you've done. That's definitely true of me. I'm on north of 20,000 training hours in 11 years, over 11 years, right? That's a heavy volume for that sure. time frame. And I couldn't do that and then do all the other shit I'm doing on top of it if I didn't enjoy the time. And I would find juggling between three to four people and having all their programs done and being just technical, 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 I would find that really draining and I wouldn't look forward to it, which would leave me not with the emotional bandwidth to continue to do it seven days a week. Sure. So I think you, sh you want to shape your business in the way that is most fulfilling to you. And for me, it's loving the experience with my clients. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. And, and I, I don't have any problem. I've talked with like Pete Dupuy about this before, because uh, obviously we're like polar opposites. I'm like one-on-one, -on -one, they're trading teams and that kind of thing. And I, I have no problem. Just, just be authentic to you. And it, it would not be, I would be a, a terrible group instructor. That is not my thing. It would be phony. Um, I'd feel like a chicken with my head cut off, trying to scramble. And nothing would get accomplished well. And uh, in the years past, you know, I've, I've trained, I still do. I train tons of husbands and wives. I've trained twins. I never trained any of them together, ever. 
you know, because it's just, that's not what I do. I can't be focused on you and you and you, you know, it's like, I, I just can't do it. Um, so uh, at least uh, I think for people who have been told that one-on-one -on -one isn't viable, they should learn that they're wrong, that they've been told wrong, uh, that it is viable, but it's still hard work. You still got to get clients. Um, for me, just like you, um, by having clients that I can charge a certain amount for, to me, it's a lot easier than trying to find three clients that are going to pay a third of that. You know, I mean, yes, it's doable. And, and theoretically, there's more people that can afford the lower rate, but are they going to come in? You know, I don't think so necessarily. There's, uh, something, there's something in there too. And I mean, I'm always nuanced to how I deliver this, but we trainers have this notion that, oh, no, I, I, I'm not comfortable talking about money. I, I'm only in it because I love helping people. We all love helping people. It's not dishonorable to also want to earn a really good living, save for retirement, sure. be smart about your money and charge your worth while you are doing something you love and helping people. And right. unfortunately, everybody's had the experience where we have people who are primarily shopping on price. And we know that there are those people that don't necessarily like have the ability to afford a lot, but there's the mentality of people who are shopping on price first, who look at people in our world as a commodity. Those people, everybody who's listening has had the experience of someone who is trying to like really like fight for discounts. It's asking for one, no harm in that, but like people are really like fighting, 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 want discounted rates, sales, you name it. Right. They're always the clients who are the biggest pain in the ass and cause the most problems. And if you accumulate that kind of clientele and race to the bottom with your rates, that shit's going to burn you out. And that's, that's a recipe to get the fuck out of the industry. You're not going to be happy with what you do. If you are comfortable in asking your true worth over time, you will get a better quality of experience from the type of people who will align with you. Right. And your days will be better. You will make more money. It, like This is the premise of the book, uh, Book Yourself Solid. I love the book. Everybody should read it. Where if you're projecting better energy, more people are positively drawn to you and it tends to take care of itself. I've had that experience. I know you have. Oh yeah. Everybody. Well, and yeah. I Go. was going to say, I think, and I've, I've done this myself when I was younger, it, when we come to the point where it's time to talk about price, we almost apologize for our rates and we almost set ourselves up to have to give some kind of a discount uh, because of the way that we even say what our rates are. Like, Is that okay? you know, whatever I, you know, it's like, well, somebody's going to say, well, I, I would like less. And you'd be like, Oh, uh, well, okay. <laughs> it, it's a race to the bottom. I mean, the way that I always look at it, if I lose a client and, and it, it does happen, um, whether people move or some people just aren't into it or whatever, but I always try to replace them with a higher paying client. Um, you know, that's just the way it is. It's much easier to charge people uh, the appropriate amount when they're brand new and, and start with that amount than it is to raise them later. Once they're used to paying a certain thing, you're not going to want to raise rates on, especially once you become friends with them, you know, and plus you're going to appreciate their loyalty. So you still need to, I mean, when you're keeping people for decades, like I am, I have to raise the rates, you know, <laughs> at some point uh, to keep the lights on. Um, but, you know, for the, for the most part, it's, it's far easier to just ask for it in the beginning. And so, that's one of the things that trainers need to just get used to doing is asking the, 
and I ask the question, but stating their their rates and getting used to hearing that because some people aren't used to hearing that when you say, oh, I'm X number of dollars, you know, if it comes across in your face, like you're not confident in it and it's no, you know, it should come across like it's no big deal. This is what it is. This is what everybody else is paying. I, why am I going to give you a deal when people that I've been training for 10 years are paying this? You know, it's like, I don't even know you. I stole something from uh, Luca Hosevar said this on a podcast and it stuck with me and I, I use this religiously. After I've sat down and had the conversation, I will say this word for word to the person across from me. I would love to have your business. There is nothing scary, nothing salesy, nothing intimidating about using that language. It, it's not unpleasant for the other person. It's a confident statement to say, I would love to work with you. And if they say yes, boom, I am, this is my hourly rate confident again, and I have never had issues with it. It has not been a problem. I'll give a specific example for anybody listening, just talking about replacing a, a client with a higher paying client. One of the coaches I mentor, great guy, came to me a year ago. I was actually the first person to ask me about mentorship, and I built a small mentorship around what he wanted and got other people involved. And he was criminally undercharging people. So we worked on you know, grandfathering the existing people for a little longer, but then letting them know, at this point, my rates are going to come up here. Anybody new coming in after that day is a higher rate. So recently, he's been charging about, about 80 bucks an hour Canadian. Uh, for the Americans listening, it's not the same. And he's been in a really big way wanting to pivot more into the online and limit his, on, his in-person coaching. He's got a newborn kid. You know, The online has been growing, did really, really cool stuff with that. And he said, okay, you know, I'm, I don't want to take on any more in-person clients or not many. And so he just wants everything online. And I said, well, have you considered this? Instead of saying no to any new in incoming opportunities, why don't you just say it's $100 an hour to train with me? Instead of the 80, $100 an hour. Guy's a good coach. And he was like, okay. And then what's he got to lose? Right. If he didn't really want any new clients, then, and he wants everybody online, which is growing. Cool. He's not out anything. But what, the, the, the th next three people that sat down with him and inquired about in person, two out of three didn't buy an eyelash at the price. He's got two new clients now at hundred bucks an hour and he can right. do it on his terms. So if like, I'm a big believer, if you want to increase your rates, grandfather, your existing clientele and say, Hey guys, like you guys, thank you so much for being with me for this length of time. Um, you know, come this date in the not too distant future, I am going to be increasing my rates for everybody, but you guys get this grandfather rate a little longer. They're getting a sale, but let them know because they're going to give you referrals. Everybody knew as of like today is, is now at this higher rate, but you guys get the old rate extended. They're going to feel great about that. And in my experience, my existing clientele have overwhelmingly supported it and been happy. In fact, I've had clients who were telling me I need to increase my rates. Sure. Right. The last Absolutely. time I increased it, two specific clients of mine were actually saying, you need to charge more. No, absolutely. I mean, most people who can afford it, it doesn't matter whether it's 80 or 85 or 90 or even a hundred, you know, it's, that's not the point. Um, now, obviously you got to be worth it. I see a lot of young trainers, no experience, just got certified and they want to go charge hundred, 120 an hour, whatever. It's like, if you don't know your ass from your elbow, that you're probably not going to do too well uh, charging that. And people won't necessarily tell you why they you know they may they may see you for 10 sessions or whatever and when they're just like well this just doesn't seem you know like it's worth it you know and then maybe it is maybe somebody totally green and and new to training can do that i certainly wasn't one of them it took me a long time to get good enough now i'm obviously feel like i'm better than i've ever been 
And I think that, you know, that's why I make clients buy 10 sessions at a time uh, because they're not going to know what I do in one or two sessions. Cause mm -hmm. even if somebody's an athlete, I've never trained them before. I don't know what I'm dealing with. I'm going to start them off very easy. And I tell them straight out of the gate, you're going to think I don't know what I'm doing. You're likely not going to be sore. You're not going to be tired. The first couple, you're going to be like, what's going on. But especially depending on, you know, their medical history and what, what I see on that, some stuff may not come up until a day or two after the workout where they're like, Oh yeah, that actually, that thing kind of bothered my ankle a little bit. Oh, okay. Good to know. Um, but within 10 sessions, whether somebody's a very beginner or an advanced, they're at least going to know how I work, how I progress things, the, how I teach form and technique, how they feel. And I haven't met too many clients who after the first 10 weren't hooked, you know, and especially ones who trained with other trainers. Cause then once they realize, you know, Oh, wow. Yeah. This, this is different than I did it before. You're just not making me tired or making me sweat or puke or whatever. It's like, no, none of it's about that, you know, and all of a sudden we'll ramp it up and we'll be, you know, 30 sessions in and they'll be doing stuff they never thought they could do before. But I'm not going to, I have nothing to prove. I'm not going to throw somebody to the wolves session one and show how tough of a trainer I am. I can, you know, beat them up or make them sore or whatever. That's, that's not the right way to go about uh, making clients feel comfortable and want to come in. And you just said something that I love to jump on too, because <clears throat> it's, it's actually eerie how much you and I align on, on the way we've done business. And it's not like I was, I knew you like the first six to seven years of my career I only came across you probably like towards the end of year seven but I still use I sell sessions by the by the block as opposed to the monthly rate thing I am fine with offering an option for monthly rate but there's a lot of people out there again who say oh you you have to do monthly you, and they will use deliberate language it's the only thing and no it first of all it doesn't fit most of my clientele right and my big issue with it is it's selling trainers on this bullshit illusion of income stability month to month. It's a total illusion. Right. Think, oh, all of a sudden, all my clients are now on a monthly rate. My income is like static. Great. What happens when that client finishes up? Fuck off. Like, it doesn't guarantee that a client won't leave. Sure. And you still have to go and do a great job with the existing clientele, which you can never shut off. And you still always have to be alert to taking on new people. Uh, and having like brand business, word of mouth, top of mind stuff out there marketing. So that way you always have people coming in to replace the people that should invariably leave or move away. And there's nothing about a monthly rate versus a session block that gives you any of those guarantees. It's selling you on a lie. Now, right. if you do it well, and I know a lot of brilliant people, a lot of our friends do the mo monthly thing. Fine. Cool. Awesome. Like do it. But I still think that anytime someone's telling you that the, the session model for, an, again, you and I are also one-on-one -on -one trainers. We're not Pete Dupuis and Cressy Sports Performance. We're not, right. you know, Luca Hosovar's bigger ground. Like Vigor will work on a class system, group, a lot of group training and, and, a, and a monthly rate. Like that business model probably has to do that for the most part for the group stuff. But when it comes to one-on-one -on -one trainers, I don't think there's anything out there that says you need to do the monthly rate. And I think if you're drawn to it, I think there's a deeper fundamental issue. It's developing the skills and doing the work both on your relationships. If you guys hear scratching, that's literally my cat, Ozzy, scratching it up <laughs> boxes nearby. Hey, buddy, you got to stop that. Good. Um, do the work on the relationships and your, your marketing skills, your business savvy, 
So that way I don't worry about one month of the next fluctuating because I'm making enough. So I'm saving and investing. Right. I'm not living check to check, right? right? My mortgage is fine. I've worked really, really hard over the years to put myself in that position. So your thoughts to anything about that? Yeah. Well, I mean, for me, A, it's about simplicity. So, you know, it, when I first opened up the gym, I was still going kind of off models that I'd seen at places I'd worked before. So even though it was all one-on-one -on -one training, I would have this, you know, three session, six session, 12 session thing and whatever. I did away with that pretty straight away. It's like, you know what, let's make this simple. It's 10 sessions at a time. Everybody can add a zero to the end of the check. So if I'm charging X number of hours per hour, just add a zero to it. They know what they're paying. You know, they know what it is. Whether somebody's coming two or three days a week, that's the way most clients are. It's going to be roughly a monthly bill anyway. So there's your monthly right there. Um, and I, I, that's why one of the reasons why I like 10 is because um, it does end up kind of being like a monthly thing for people. But that's not a hard and fast rule. It could take somebody. I have some clients who come in once a week or I have clients who go out of town to shoot movies and go on tour and stuff like that. So their sessions aren't going to disappear. And I don't want to have to like freeze their monthly account and all this stuff. To me, it's all things that just overcomplicate your business. Make it simple. Make it like, you know, in and out burger, whatever. Sell a fucking cheeseburger and that's it. You don't need to sell a fish sandwich and a chicken sandwich and whatever to sell the best damn cheeseburger you can. So I'm selling the best one-on-one -on -one training I can. It's very simple. Here's the price. It's 10 at a time. Come or don't. And we'll go from there. I mean, it's just, it really should be that simple. Awesome. Making notes here. So I'm getting behind, but um, <laughs> one of the things I, I kind of wanted to, and it extends off this conversation and it's certainly about, uh, you know, your gym push private fitness, you know, again, coming up on 20 years of in business, just celebrated 19. And would you have had the same career or impact without the gym? No, no, absolutely not. The only reason why I was able to get celebrity clients was having the brick and mortar gym in a neighborhood where celebs lived and worked. And there is obviously a certain amount of credibility whether somebody goes and looks you up online with being the man, you know? So having, being the owner of the place has more cachet than just being a trainer at the place. And being a trainer at a private place still has more cachet than being a trainer at like Gold's Gym you know, or somebody who shows up and wants to take you to the park, you know? So it's, there's no way I would be where I'm at now without having the facility. Now, obviously now running a facility in Los Angeles, celeb clients, 19 years, I mean, all that's like unheard of, you know, I didn't know I would still be able to be doing this this many years later. Um, but now that's a whole new area of, of social proof, if you will, that I have, regardless of the number of followers I have on Instagram, Shit, my gym was open before Instagram existed. You know, it's like, well, I have a whole was, different history. I was telling you off air before this, uh, I recently pres presented at Kabuki Education Week, big virtual uh, conference. And I used you and Push Private Fitness as an illustration of exactly what you just said. It was a, a series of credibility, career accomplishment points, whether it's writing articles through major publications or having a successful YouTube channel or owning a physical facility. And I had pushed private in one of those slides. And like you said, 
if you're the physical owner of a gym, we, we just talked about P2Pui, we talked about Luca Hosevar, how many friends, Mark Fisher, you know, Mark Fisher Fitness in New York, uh, you could look at Don Saladino having, um, you know, Drive 365 and now he's got the barn or Mark Magna down in, in anatomy. And these are some of the examples I use specifically in my presentation. One of the big reasons why these people, Joe DeFranco, are known in the industry one of the foundations that is having the physical facility and being successful with it. And there's a lot more examples. And what I try to tell trainers is a lot of people listening actually own a small facility. Maybe they own a studio or and maybe, maybe it's just a home studio or something, or like you said, you are a contract. Like I'm a cr- contractor with Evolve Strength. And like, again, I mentioned Dean Somerset and I used to work for the old company. Well, Dean is at a different location of Evolve Strength uh, with his own business as well. And the fact that we, like people think I own Evolve Strength. No, my friend John Chung does, but we're good friends. And it's still credibility building to be that independent trainer under a growing and very reputable, very prestigious company. Sure. Spreading over like Western Canada versus, you know, again, being the trainer on the floor in, in, the, in the commercial gym. Now there's going to be those trainers listening. I'm not belittling the fact you work for the commercial gym. I did it for six years. I know the value. What I kind of hope you guys are doing is putting yourselves in a position that you don't, you have an exit strategy and a long-term plan that will allow you to do all the smart shit with your finances you talked about earlier, but to move on to something that will secure your ability. If you love this, that you don't ever have to apply to, uh, you know, become a paramedic or something else. You can do what you love most, wear t-shirts for the rest of your life. I don't plan to retire. I want to be in my seventies coaching people, you know, not as many hours as I do now, Living the dream, baby. Yeah, he's got a hat on. Living the dream, right? <laughs> Nothing. I can't imagine, like you said earlier, I can't imagine doing anything else. Every once in a while, you're kind of like, what if this, what if I hadn't done this, right? What if I hadn't moved to Edmonton? What if I hadn't like done this, like these linchpin things that ultimately led to this career? I'm like, I don't fucking know. But I know I wouldn't be anywhere near as happy or fulfilled. Right. right? No, absolutely. And that's the thing too. I mean, I've had a lot of people over the years, especially when I was younger, um, well, are you still going to be doing this when you're 50 or when you're 60? Who's going to want a trainer, whatever, you know, like, who do you think is going to be a better trainer? I'm 53. I've got a shit ton of experience and I still can probably outlift you if you're the <laughs> average person anyway, uh, or some 25 year old kid who, you know, is too busy worrying about crypto and whatever than <laughs> what they're going to uh, do with you for your session. So, I mean, I'm better training than I've ever been. And I expect to be able to say that same thing next year and five years from now. And if I get to the point where I don't think I'm better than I've ever been, then that's time for me to hang it up and and retire or do something else. But as long as I'm doing better than ever and putting a good and, and better product out there, I see no reason to stop. And quite frankly, it keeps me young. I mean, I, I want to be bigger, stronger, faster than all my clients, if possible. Now, obviously, that's easier when you're do, dealing with gen pop people. If you're dealing with pro athletes, obviously, I'm not going to be that way. Um, and if I get somebody like that, I'm not stupid. I'm not going to try to compete with a, a pro athlete. Um, but it is a certain motivation to to show up and to bring it and say, look, and there, in, in a lot of ways, I'm probably more inspirational to in-person clients and certainly online people doing what I'm doing at 53, then it would be to see a 28 year old do it. You expect a 28 year old to be able to do the stuff, but somebody now at my age, they're like, Oh, Holy crap. That dude looks really good. Or he's really strong. You know, I can do that. So that's, that's what I'm 
enjoying actually about the longevity of my career and my age. It's the fact that I'm actually able to speak probably to more people than ever because of that. What, given how, you know that you've been doing this this long, what does your continuing education look like at this stage in your career? And, and like, why, why is that still a part of what you do? You could easily rest on your laurels. Sure. Well, I mean, I could probably not learn another thing about training and be just fine. It's not like I'm doing that much different stuff than Sandow was doing a hundred years ago. So uh, that part is kind of irrelevant in a way, you know, I, I could rest on my laurels as, as far as that goes. Um, but why? If I can pick up one little tidbit of thing that's new, whether it's for my own training or something that I can adapt for clients, why wouldn't I want to know it? So I'm still buying books and and watching videos and following people on Instagram and I'm learning stuff. I'm learning stuff from people that are half my age. It's not like I'm biased and they go, oh, I can only learn something from, you know, some industry leader or whatever. It's like, no, I, I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to apply it and, and try it and see. And if it works for me, great. And if not, that's great too. I mean, I never think anything like anything that's trendy or whatever, maybe it's cool. Maybe it's not. I don't feel the need to adopt it just because it's trendy. Um, you know, that was that way with, with kettlebells when everybody was going to do, all they needed was kettlebells to hell with a, a big gym with selectorized equipment and all that. All we need is a kettlebell and blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, no, I got kettlebells. I still use them, you know, for a few things or a tool like anything else. But, you know, it's that way with a lot of stuff. It's that way with programming. All of a sudden, everybody's programming like CrossFit because CrossFit was popular. It's like, well, okay. You know, for me, it's like, I still predominantly do straight sets with people. And there's people that would think that's complete heresy. Oh, you, get, you at least got a superset or you got to be doing this during the rest periods or whatever. It's like, well, no, the rest periods is when I get the most accomplished with the relationship building, you know? And plus, I mean, most people want to be leaner and, and, and look better, you know, naked. They want to they have some, some muscle tone or whatever. Well, most of the research that's been done shows you need about, two minute rest period or so. Obviously, if you're lifting super heavy and powerlifting, you might need three or five or whatever. But for, for most clients, if I get them to the point where they're, they're working hard, I want them to be as strong as they can be for themselves. So we do straight sets. We do two minute rest periods, you know, roughly. Um, now I can tell I've been doing this a long, long time. I don't need to keep a stopwatch on them. I can tell when they need more rest or I, I can almost guess to the rep, what somebody's going to get on their second set or third set or, or whatever, just because I've been doing this a long time and I pay attention. You just described one of my sessions today. And in fact, this is all of my sessions. One of my clients, he's a, he's a casual, just recently returned. He's an environmental scientist. And he's like, he, just, he really loves being out in the field, geeking out about like peat moths and plants and stuff like that. So he knows I grew up in Newfoundland. So he mentions how there's a, a type of berry called a cloudberry that we Newfies call bake apples. It's this weird like little thing. And they're, you know, they're only like in season for a few weeks and like Newfie's going nuts over these things. I don't think they're <laughs> that crazy. That's, I know sacrilege, but he's talking about this and he knows the stuff that we talk about like pitcher plants, which is the provincial plant, like the official provincial plant and like how he's fascinated with that stuff. And then that turns into a discussion. Pete Moss, we're talking about scotch and he's more of a bourbon guy. 
And then it gets on to like talk about the Witcher because he's he I, I'm a huge Super Witcher fan, but he's like watching the shows and asking what's what there. In between, we did three sets of five with a heavy bench press. Then we moved on to some other pressing stuff. It was basically a push day. He felt great. He's getting stronger. And I'm excited. I look forward to next time I get to hang out with him. And I know he's looking forward to coming back to it. And that was what the session was, right? And we got right. tons of work done, all the same science behind rest breaks and strength training and building muscle and coming back to that experience. So that way that person gets great results long-term. Again, sure. it's cool. I think like minds gravitate, but we have so many friends who have different business models and different philosophies. You mentioned kettlebells. Go follow Clifton Harsky. And Clifton is masterful at this stuff. I know that the John Russ's PPSC crew, a whole bunch of my friends are in that. They're often, so I don't know where the hell they are. It looks like it's somewhere south and warm. There's <laughs> a ton of them. And they're doing a whole bunch of stuff with a new, like, I think a kettlebell certification. Looks like a blast. I'm not a diehard, diehard kettlebell guy. Or follow Marcus Martinez. He's a kettlebell exercise on Instagram. Huge following. The guy's awesome at it. If you want to be in on that ideology. I'm like you. I'll teach the right clients who suit, it suits them. Kettlebell swings. I use them for farmers, carries a lot, upside down, bottoms up presses. I love that for shoulder warm up, shoulder mobility stuff. But am I like doing a whole bunch of like, you know, snatches and and cleans and stuff with with kettlebells? That's not really me, right? That's that's not my area, right? If you want to go and like dive super hard into Olympic lifting, not my expertise. I'm definitely going to refer you to some people I think are amazing at it though. You might hear, apologies, my gardeners just came. And they're yep. literally mowing, like, can't just walk by my window. So can't if you hear, hear something, things. okay, good. You're, you're good. I got to catch scratching a box. You guys, <laughs> I can't hear you. So nope, you're all good. Okay, good. Um, yeah, well, and and something that struck me when you were talking about your session with your client today. So to me, what, what you talked about, you guys are talking about cloudberries and scotch and whatever. To me, that's a perfect opportunity to think, okay, this guy just told me, he likes bourbon. Oh, what's your favorite kind of bourbon? Whatever. I know exactly what gift I'm going to give him. I'm going to get this guy some bourbon and I'm not going to wait till Christmas or whatever. I'm just going to one of his sessions. Oh, hey, man. You know, and, and I do that stuff all the time. I especially do it with T-shirts. I mean, I give clients T-shirts all the time. You can imagine. You did it with my, me. You yeah. showed up with a T-shirt that was relevant to me. Right. Yeah, of course. And that's to me, that's because it shows thought. And, and I think I. Thoughtful gift is way more important than something ex- extravagant that's maybe pointless. Uh, the last thing I do is, I mean, if, if, some, if I'm exchanging with somebody, if I want like one of their gym shirts, I'll give them my gym shirts. But, you know, it, to me, giving my gym shirt as a gift is almost like giving somebody a picture of myself. It's like, oh, it's a weird thing. You know, it's like, why, why would I do that if you're not like my mom or something, you know? Um, now, if they're clients, that's a different thing because I'll, I'll give them, you know, gym t-shirt or whatever because they like like wearing it. Um, but for the most part, you know, I've, I'm going to listen to the things that they like in their life and outside of the gym. And if I have an opportunity to, you know, get a little gift or something for them that, that speaks to that, that shows real, real caring about something that you're listening to them and, and paying attention. And um, I, I think that's where the gold is. And if you're, you know, running people through, you know, in groups, it, you may or may not have time to have those kind of conversations regularly and pick up on those kind of things. Um, so for, for me, I just find it easier all the way around to do the one-on-one thing and create the type of relationships that I want to create and, and have the type of career that I want to have. And, and again, I'm going to reiterate this. This is something you and I both organically 
decided was the best thing for us. And I think for a lot of trainers out there, two lessons. One is if you've been told the alternatives that we kind of went through and didn't feel good about them, then trust in that you can be profoundly successful with what you and I describe as the way we've done things, right? You and I are definitely two of the busiest trainers per amount of time we've been in the industry of the people we know, right? That's right. We're very, very busy full time. If you're someone who loves one of the things that isn't for you and I, and we've maybe picked holes in, keep in mind, like that may be exactly perfect for you, your clientele, your business, what you're passionate about. And I respect that and love that. And if anything, if you're in that position, I want you guys to double down on what you're great at and to make sure that if you are in a position where you're influencing other coaches to help them be successful, because we all kind of want to all, was it uh, all ships rise with high tides, right? Right. If we want to support the other people around us with something I'm passionate about. And if you can help those people, amazing. But I definitely want to make sure that no one thinks that you and I are saying this is the only way. No, absolutely not. It is definitely authentic to me. It's definitely what's made you successful for a long time, but not everybody's going to be you and I, and not everybody's going to have our ambition. Not everybody. I'm in no rush to get off the gym floor. I think some people eventually, we have a lot of people we respect who no longer train people on the floor one-on-one. Like a Jordan Syatt who, you know, he did the Gary Vaynerchuk thing for a while and he's really rooted in the online. He's grown something really big. And there are going to be some people who just will found something. Mike Isertel, Nick uh, Nick Shaw with Renaissance Periodization. They've got this big online company, educational brand. Those guys are probably not worried about coaching a lot of people one-on-one anymore. Now they still fuck around in the gym and they have fun with their friends and they push each other and all that. So that's not lost on them. But I don't see Mike wanting to train six, seven, 10 hours a day, you know, the general population client anymore. And those guys paid their dues. They, they worked in the gyms and they did this shit as personal trainers. Sure. And, so, and there's absolutely zero wrong with that. But there's nothing wrong with 30 years in still training 30 one-on-one sessions a week. Yep. I mean, I love to do that. I don't golf. So I'm not going to retire and spend time on the golf course. So what the fuck am I going to do? You know, I like being in the gym. I've always loved the gym. I've liked the type of environment you can create at a gym. I think that obviously there's gyms who don't do it well, and the gym can be a very intimidating place full of a lot of bullshit. But I have a private facility that is very empowering and fun. Uh, I've got Nerf guns hidden around. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like it's it it should be like that. I can't imagine. It would be mind-numbingly dull for me to go to a corporate job in some high-rise, and I, I, it just doesn't interest me at all. And it doesn't interest me really to, at this point, to ha- having like an online-only presence. Now that may change, or if I des- decide at some point, I probably will decide to retire. Or if I'm on the fence about it, my wife's gonna be like, "Listen, I'm retiring, and you're coming with me." You know, we're traveling, and so you know, then I've got to pivot. Um, but otherwise, you know, I love going to the gym and seeing people and I'm luckily I'm at a point where I can train the people who I want to train. I don't have any of those energy vampires that a lot of times you get stuck with when you're young, um, which is yet another reason to charge what you're worth. So at the very least you're getting paid to be with that energy vampire. And if they stick with you for a long time, you know, at least you're, you're not, giving them a discount rate to be a burden. (laughs) 
a lot easier to handle an energy vampire at 100 bucks an hour than it is at 40 bucks an hour. Absolutely. And, you know, as for your wife, you met her a few times now. Correct me if I'm wrong, but she's an Academy Award winner, is she not? Yes, my wife has won uh, two Academy Awards. She's the only woman who's won Academy Awards uh, twice for sound. She won her first for The Bourne Ultimatum and her second for Skyfall. So Jason Bourne and James Bond, uh, for people who don't think that women can do action movies, uh, which is a, a lot of people in the sound industry, you know, there's, they don't give women as much credit as they should. Um, and so my wife is, is really the top of the food chain, male or female, when it comes to, to that kind of work. Uh, as a matter of fact, two of her movies are in the, the top four in the U.S. this week. She did Scream and she did uh, Redeeming Love. So... I saw um, on your social media that she did screen. So yeah. really cool shout out to her because, you know, you've made her part of your story and presentations and, and whatnot. Now, I'm well, a- I pretty much owe it, owe it all to her. I mean, you know, that's another thing. If find a good partner, you know, I mean, really find a good partner because uh, it, it takes that having somebody to have your back. And obviously you need to be reciprocal and have their back too. Um, but yeah, if you don't have a good a good life partner, it's going to be really hard to run a business too, because it's, it can be all, all consuming and stressful. And, you know, it's, it's not good on relationships if you don't have somebody who's uh, doing their own thing. Chad, amazing to catch up with you, my friend. Um, everybody listening, thank you for checking this out. If you're not already fans of Chad's on his social media, go follow <laughs> his Instagram, Facebook, all that sort of stuff. Where do people find you? Well, because I'm so old, I was there at the birth of all this shit. So just at Chad Landers, well, <laughs> I'm, I'm the one. I'm the first one. So at Chad Landers on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you know, the whole thing. I can be found if somebody wants to find me. And I'm I'm your Facebook friend. I'm on Instagram. Follow We follow each other. So, you know, you're easy to find if you're already on my media, which you should be. I want to connect with you guys. I tell you time and time again, shoot me a message. If you're quite listening, I've never said hi before. Say hi. I want to know you're there. Uh, for everybody else, things like reviews, you know, if you've been listening a long time, I, I don't, you know, I've been asking more for these recently, but, you know, don't pull over the car. Or don't don't try to do it while you're listening in the car, but <laughs> you know what, try to remember, you know, a five-star review on iTunes or whatever platform, Spotify can go a really long way. Share it with a friend, enrich some another personal trainer's experience if you find these kind of conversations valuable. And Chad, man, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. My pleasure. And if people, you know, like the stuff that we were talking about today and they have more questions for you or whatever, I'm happy to come back anytime in the future. And I'll throw one last thing there too. We didn't talk much about it, but you alluded to it, the financial stuff, the stuff you and James Krieger are doing with Fit Pro Financial. If you guys are trainers who really want to dive more into that stuff, you really got to get into what these guys are doing. It is really solid stuff. It's an education that most trainers need more of. Absolutely. FitProFinancial.com or at FitProFinancial on Instagram. Beautiful. Thank you again, my friend.